The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Once again, good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here. Welcome to Mountain Park. My name is Alan, and thrilled that you carved out time to be with us here today. Let me start by asking a question. Have you ever been frustrated with God's plan? Mm, yes, I have. Uh, you know, have you ever just kind of, maybe you, you know that God exists. You know that God is loving, God is powerful, but you've looked at your understanding of God's plan for your life or the way things are going, and you just think, you know, God, I'm not sure you really thought this one through. You might look at what's going on in your life or in the life of someone that you care deeply about, and you just say, I'm not sure that that makes sense to me. That doesn't look like it's the best plan that you could imagine in that situation. Eleven years ago, my wife and I uh, uh, responded to an invitation to a call to be the, the, the pastor here. At the time, she was pregnant with our third child, and, um, and uh, we decided that it, was, that it was the call. This was what God was inviting us to, to make this trip from Cincinnati to, uh, to Phoenix. And so it, we, were, uh, we had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-month-old when we got on the plane and packed up all our stuff and, and came out here. And we didn't know anyone. We had never, we, other than uh, an initial visit, we had never been to Phoenix. And so here we came to the Valley of the Sun, and our first year here was awful. It was horrible. And I know some of you have heard this story before. And for those of you who know us well, you, you know more about these details. But it, it was a really rough year, uh, partially because this was a new job for me. And, and uh, I, I had been a pastor for quite some time, but I hadn't had the, the, the lead pastor role at a church. And uh, here I uh, come to a church. I'm following the founding pastor of the church, and there are expectations, and this is the way we used to do it, and, and I'm not meeting those expectations, and, uh, and it, was, it was painful. And I, I went to seminary, and I knew that when you're a senior pastor somewhere, your first year is referred to as the honeymoon period. It's a honeymoon year where everyone just loves one another and everything just goes so smooth and so well. Then you start to get into some of the difficulties. There was no honeymoon here. There was no, like we were an old married couple from the very beginning, just jumping right in here. And that tension, that it was tension with, the, with, with staff and trying to figure that out and tension with the church and tension with the mission of the church and, and all of that got brought home. And so I brought all this tension home. It was the hardest year in our marriage. Uh, there was a, a, a tremendous uh, tension at home. And, you know, before I came over here, I was a really happy person. In fact, I, I was quite delightful. I'm really, when you think about it. And, and so here I am following God's plan for my life. I very much believed and still believe God had invited and orchestrated that whole journey. And here I was following God's plan for my life, and I was miserable. It was, it was very natural during that first year to just say, okay, okay, God, I'm not sure you've thought this through. Have you ever experienced that? You ever experienced this, uh, this idea of being frustrated with God's plan. Today we're going to look at the fact that God is still great even when life is not. 
God is still great even when life is not. As we head into that, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, once again, I'm so thankful to be here in this place. And I know that, that many of us come from different angles. Some of us this week have been deeply intimate with you. And this is just an ongoing flow of our, of our connection with you. For some of us, God, maybe we haven't even thought of you all week. And yet here we gather in this space and we set aside this time for our relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that you would honor that, that you would meet us here, that you would speak to our minds, that you would touch our hearts and our souls in significant ways here in the rest of our time together. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Every year, I walk through what I call the whole shebang. I like to just walk through the overall story of God. Not just the story we find in Scripture, but the story of humanity. The story from the very beginning to the very end. And uh, that story is divided up into seven pieces. Right now, we're entering into the sixth of those seven pieces. And usually when I, or sometimes when I enter into a new section, I want to do a recap of the overall story. Sometimes I feel when I do the recap, however, that I, I feel like I'm an adult in a Charlie Brown uh, cartoon, that sometimes I feel like it's wah, 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 because I get up and I just walk through the pieces, and so I don't want you to check out. It may be possible for you to dismiss me as I walk that out, but I've asked somebody else to come up and walk through the pieces of the story, and I think you're going to have a harder time dismissing Anna Battle. So Anna, would you come on up and tell us the story so far? Give us a recap. Awesome, thanks. Gotcha. Thank you, Anna. Like I said last service, you know, sometimes be careful what you ask for. Um, first of all, um, thank you. I'm an honor to be here in the presence of you and our Lord and Savior and, and Alan, our pastor, who's led us through a journey of the whole shebang through the lens of foundation. So I'm, I'm pleased to be able to give you a brief synopsis of what we've had the pleasure to learn um, over the year. First of all, in section uh, one, we talk about, we learn about the exodus. This is the journey to the promised land. They were given everything God wanted them. And they were just blessed with so much that we would love to be able to have that access to our Lord and Savior and also, we must know that during this time, this was the time of the Passover. As they grew out of Israel into the land of prosperity, they grew in strength and number and in power. And in number, God provided more than one. As we know, that when we are together, we are stronger. When we are alone, things are a lot more difficult. So there was strength in number. Additionally, there was influence with those who had a common purpose. And in that purpose, they were to live God's story. And through their lives and through their struggles, they had each other and also our Lord and Savior, the Word of God, who was the most influential person. And also that was our takeaway in Section 1, the Exodus. Section 2, the exile. You know, we're never happy, right? And neither were they. They had everything. All they had to do was do as God said. They did not behave. So as God said, I brought you here. I take you out. Some of us heard that before, right? God was disheartened. God was disheartened by the way they behave, and there was a lot of pain in that pain, in that experience. But in God's pain, we 
learned healing. Through experiences, our takeaway through exile of those people and of us, through tough times, we find great healing and we are made strong because of that pain. Section three, the Messiah. This is the crux of the story. Our Lord comes to earth. He is flesh. He lives and breathes as we do now. Some thought he was a lunatic. Some thought he was an amazing person and teacher. Others were threatened by him and wanted to get rid of him. And then there were those who knew he was the Savior, the Messiah. We learned from John 3:16, and Alan broke it up this way. God's motivation, God so loved the world, the action, he gave his one and only son. Our required response, whoever believes in him and the result should have everlasting life. Section four, the revolution. The revolution of love, as I had a chance to really read through that, is a revolution of love. They changed the world. There were struggles and there were storms, but they were prepared because they had a common purpose and they were together as a community and they grew stronger and stronger. And through the storms, to prepare for the storm, our takeaway was scripture, Romans 8, 28. As we know, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him according and who have been called according to his purpose. That is something that gives us strength as we move along through our days. The church, the church began, God knew that he was going to allow his disciples to come together to worship him and to grow and experience life together. And they, they loved God and they developed the church. The church struggled at times. Things were going great. They knew God was with them. And they, at times, as we might, needed to be reminded, do not be cocky. Corinthians 12, 10 through 12 or 12, 13, one or the other, says that we're to be sure that God, there's always a struggle, that God is, is with us and to know that we've got to prepare ourselves through the tough times and not get relaxed because there is always a storm. We also learned from our takeaway with Alan that we cannot pursue gain without love. Love must be our motivation for gain. And then there is the unwritten, which Alan is going through now. My favorite word is hope. Hope for the future. Hope in loving one another. Unfortunately, we're not demonstrating that so, world, so well in our world today. But we must have hope that in the end, this is our cause. This is what God wants us to be and do, is to love one another because he loves us. Well, Alan... There's your brief snippet of the Exodus awesome. all the way through God's story. And God, thank you for allowing me to be here this morning. See, I knew she would tell it different, and I knew you'd pay more attention. So uh, good job. Thanks, Anna. That was, that was terrific. And so, as she said, we're now entering into the unwritten part. It's the sixth of the seven sections. And then we're going we're gonna to do this for five weeks. And then the end is the final section of the, of the overall story. This section, the unwritten, is about you. 
It's about, um, it's about our, our time here right now in 2016. It's about our decisions, and it's about how that impacts the world, how that has a, an impact on the story. The theme that we're looking at uh, this year is foundation. We've identified 40 foundational passages of Scripture to help us understand the overall story. So here for the next five weeks, we're going to look at verses that are about you. They're about you in general, you at work, you at home, you in your, uh, in your marriage, you and your relationship with others uh, in, in community. And so uh, if you have not engaged with any of the, with any of the scriptures uh, so far this year, these five would be great for you to engage with as we walk through the unwritten part of the story. The verse that we're taking a look at today is a beloved verse from Jeremiah 29, verse 11, where uh, the prophet says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. These are, I say, beloved verse because these these are, uh, uh, many people know this verse here. This is a verse we send to kids graduating from high school, graduating from college, and they give great hope, and they're a beautiful set of words, but... If we don't understand them, if we don't understand the context, then we can look at our life, we can look at the plans that God has for our lives, and we can be frustrated because we can say, that's not me. That's not what's going on. So that means God must not be faithful. So let's make sure we understand the context of these great words in Jeremiah 29, 11. God begins, he says, for I know the plans I have for you. Good news there is that there's clarity out of these words. There is a plan. There is a plan for your life. God knows what it is, so it must exist. God knows what that plan is. A plan is something that happens before the actual thing happens. That's what a plan is. So we, we plan for a party. Then we have the party. We plan to build something. Then we actually build the thing that we plan to build. There's the plan, and then there's, that leads to the thing that actually happens. And many of you in your place of work or at home, you have plans. You walk out a plan, then that plan is part of the journey, how you fill your days. It's an important kind of deal. We're, many of us are familiar with plans. I grew up uh, being very connected with plans. I was way into toy models as a kid, I would make model cars, and I, I had a whole layout and all the paints and all the different sanding equipment and all that, and I would paint all the little parts of the engine, different colors, and assemble them, and, and you had to paint them after you glued them, otherwise the glue would kind of melt over the paint, and so you had to do all this and match and, and make sure you get all the little buttons on the dashboard of the car, and yes, I was that kid. I was, I was that nerdy with this. I love building cars. I love cars. I love digging into them, and then uh, if you're, once you're bored with them, you light them on fire and crash them up against one another. I mean, it, it's just a great way to grow up. And so, love, you have a plan, and you build the plan. I was also into Lego, and my kids are into Lego. And so, um, it's, just a, it's just a great toy. You open the box, and there's instructions. You have a plan, and then you build the toy. Now, one of the greatest things about Lego is you can have just a big pile of miscellaneous Lego, and you can create whatever you want. It's great. But if you do have a plan, then you build the plan. The, what I grew up learning is that plans don't change. Is that, is that you have a plan for a model and you build the model. You have a plan for a Lego set, you build the Lego set. 
plans don't change. One of the things I've learned as I've gotten older is that sometimes plans do change. Ding! That was a learning for me. And some of you, I'm sure, have learned that. Sometimes plans change, and that can be difficult. That can be frustrating because you're looking at the plan and saying, this is what the plan was. Why are we over here? This is not what I thought we were going to be doing. Let me give you a hypothetical, just kind of grabbing one from, from out of the thin air. Let's just say there's a plan for a new building. Let's just say there's a plan for a new building. And this plan has been embraced and accepted. There is a stamp on the corner of the front page of the plan that says that the engineers, these brilliant structural engineers, they've looked at all these pages of plans and they've said, yes, these plans are good. And the city of Phoenix has looked at the plans and given us a permit. Well, they didn't give it to us. We had to pay for it. But they have provided us with a permit to say, you can build that 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 beautiful building. The plans are set, they're drawn, they're all drawn up. And then, once again, I'm just speaking hypothetically, what if at some point someone says, no, you can't build that glass prayer tower six floors up. Uh, You just can't build, for a myriad of reasons, you can't build that anymore, hypothetically. If that was our situation, then you say, But that's not the plan. The plan was set and stamped on. And there's frustration at times to say the plan has changed. Sometimes the plan changes, and that's okay. And that's okay. The frustration kicks in when we are not able to allow the plan to to be changed. Sometimes God's plan for our life changes And that's okay. That's what we mean by unwritten. The plan is written. The story is not. The plan is written. The the DNA for you, the way you've been built and the gifts that you have and the opportunities that you have, they were known by God before you were born. There was a plan. There was a layout for this is what your story, this is what your thing is going to look like. But the story is not written. The story, the decisions we make as far as walking out that plan, that's the unwritten part. Sometimes we're in line with what God has laid out. Sometimes we're not. The plan is written. The story is not. And sometimes our journey, our decisions lead us to a point where the plan has to change. Where God has to say, okay, okay, we're going to redo this part. And God says, I'm going to change the plan here. Are you okay with that? Because that's where some of the frustration kicks in. When I look at the overall story, when I look at the story that Anna walked out, particularly the Old Testament piece, the piece that we call the exile, I don't think it was God's plan to exile the people out of Israel. I don't think that was God's original design, original plan. I don't think that was the original set of plans. Why? Because it was prophet after prophet that God sent to to tell the people to change their ways. I think God wanted them to thrive in the promised land forever. And so prophets were sent, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Hosea, prophet after prophet after prophet were sent before the exile 
to say, if you don't change your ways, if you're veering away from the plan that God has for you, and if you don't change, if you don't come back, if you continue to go on a path where you don't think you need God or God's ways anymore, if you think, oh, that's, that's maybe what we used to in the past, but we don't need that anymore. We're more sophisticated. We don't need that. Does that sound like another nation you might be familiar with? When that starts to happen, God's saying, God's saying through these prophets, no, no, you've you got to come, you come back, come back to me, come back to God, come back to God. And if you don't, there will be consequences, and the plan is going to change. So like a good parent, God says, here's, what, here's what's going to happen if you don't change your ways. It's going to be the exile. You're going to get kicked out of Jerusalem, and that's what happened. The plan changed. God said, okay, I'm we're going we're gonna to change what this looks like now. Most of the book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah the prophet pleading with people to change their ways. Most of the book of Jeremiah is before the exile. Change your ways. Change your ways. Come back to God. Come back to God. Don't take this on yourself. Come back to God. So when we look at Jeremiah chapter 29, this is deep into the story after the exile, after the people are kicked out and sent to Babylon. Chapter 29 is a letter from Jeremiah the prophet to the Jewish people who are exiled in Babylon. He writes a letter to the exiles in Babylon. We need to understand that. Uh, I want to take a look at the chapter. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But I want to take a look at the chapter before 29, chapter 28. And, and as we've done before, our foundational verse will be up there on the screen. The other verses or chapters that we look at, I'm going to read out of Scripture. I invite you to bring your Bible, open up your, um, your Bible on your smartphone, whatever, so that you can look at them and, and access them yourself. We're going to keep up the foundational verse up on the screen. So in chapter 28 of Jeremiah, we we see there's another prophet named Hananiah. Now, most of us are not that familiar with Hananiah. We know Jeremiah. We know about the bullfrog. We know how all that works. But we're less familiar with Hananiah. Hananiah only gets a tiny bit of time in Scripture. Chapter 28, verse 2, Hananiah says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Okay, that's a profound way to start a sentence. It's the way the other prophets had said it. Sounds just like the other prophets. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. He's saying that, that this is going to happen in two years. Here, Hananiah and Jeremiah and the others, the other uh, Hebrews who were still in Jerusalem, they're, they're standing in the temple, in the temple that is empty. It's ransacked by the Babylonians. All the gold, all their treasures are gone. They're standing in that temple. Hananiah says, all this stuff that's gone, it will be returned, and all of the people in slavery, hundreds of miles away, they will all come back within two years. That's tremendous. That is great news. Wow. Two years. And God says to Jeremiah, says, no, 
That's not my plan. I don't know where Hananiah is getting this, but that's not the new plan. As a result of, of their decisions, I've had to rewrite the plan, and that's not my new plan, God says. God speaks through Jeremiah, and in the verse, right before our foundational verse, chapter 29, verse 10, Jeremiah says, he writes to the exiles, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 70 years. Not two years. 70 years. It's a lifetime. Jeremiah had the message of saying, you will die in Babylon. And your children, many of your children will die. But maybe the next generation will come back and see Jerusalem restored. And then we have verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's where verse 11 fits. We pull verse 11 out and we read it and we, and we connect it with Hananiah's prophecy from chapter 28 that says, well, this is all going to happen in two years. We're not that familiar with Hananiah's prophecy, but we don't want it to happen now. Two years is even too long. We want it to happen in two weeks. God makes promises in verse 11. I want it to happen now. And the prophet with the shorter amount of time is the more popular prophet. So the prophet or the preacher or the church that says all that prospering and that hope for the future, all of that happens now, health and wealth, it's going to happen now, that's the more popular church, it's the more popular message, of course it is. But what if that's not the plan of God? What if that's not what God had written out? Jeremiah's plan was different than Hananiah's understanding of God's plan. That's where the frustration kicks in. See, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 doesn't mean you and I will prosper at whatever we do at our timetable. That's not what it means. It means that if our story and the decisions we make with our unwritten story, if that lines up with God's plan, then we will prosper but if our story, our unwritten story, kind of takes its own pathways and it does not line up with God's plan, then we will not prosper. That's, that, that's where this verse gets tricky. You see, our past shapes the plan. The plan is written, but the story is not. And so when our story, our past, it shapes what the plan is going forward. And maybe our story is shaped by the decisions we've made. We've all made poor decisions in the past, and that shapes our plan going forward. Or maybe it was shaped by decisions that were made by other people, but it still can affect our plan going forward. As I said, chapter 29, these verses here, these beautiful words that Jeremiah gives to the exiled in Babylon, it's a letter that he writes to them. It's a letter, and the letter begins in verse 4 here of chapter 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those 
I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. He begins his letter. Before verse 11, he says, build houses, plant gardens. Build houses, plant gardens. Sometimes we sit and we wait. We're familiar with verse 11. We want the prospering. We want the hope in the future. And so we sit and we wait. We know what the promises are and we want God's comfort. We know God is a loving, wonderful God. And so we just sit and wait for that to happen. But I think the prophet here is saying thousands of years ago, saying, no. No, you've got to get up and build houses and plant gardens. You can't just sit around for these beautiful beautiful things of God. You've got to, plant, to build houses and plant gardens. Sometimes we sit around and we think life, life can start when this happens. I'm waiting for this thing to happen. Once that happens, then I'm going to kick in. Then I'm going to get fully engaged. Uh, when, when I, as soon as I graduate, as soon as I get that degree, accomplish that thing, then life is going to happen for me, and I'm going to be the man or a woman that God's plan wants me to be. As soon as I get that job, that's when life is going to happen. As soon as I get that relationship, that's when life is going to happen. As soon as I get that much income, as soon as I accumulate that much uh, uh, of a nest egg of resources, then, then life is going to happen. And I think the prophet here is saying, don't, don't sit around in limbo. Don't wait for one day that to happen. Build houses and plant gardens. Now. Maybe, maybe some of you are sitting and waiting here in Phoenix right now. And this period for you is, is, is not fun. It's frustrating. Maybe because maybe this doesn't feel like home. You've been here for a few months. You've been here for a year, a couple years or whatever. And it just doesn't feel like home. So, so as a result, you're not connecting relationally. You're not, you're not uh, investing in relationships with other people. You're, you're not digging in. You're not connecting with the community. You're not cheering for the Cardinals yet. You're still kind of cheering for your hometown team. And you haven't gone on the bandwagon to say, no, the Cardinals are a good team. It's our team. You cheer for our team. You haven't gone there yet. Maybe, 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 just maybe. You need to build a house and plant a garden. And say, you know what, I'm not going to spend the rest of my days, I'm not going to spend the next year just waiting and saying, one day I'm going to engage. One day I'm going to kick in. Maybe right now is the time. Because God's plan that you're hoping for is, is going to be more delayed than what you would like it to be. And so, so, so may, maybe the, the point is, this is home. This is where I'm going to engage in. Because here's something to remember about the exile. You and I are all in exile. We are all in exile, no matter where you were born or what you feel about Ahwatukee, Chandler, Phoenix. We're all in exile. This is not our final resting place. That we don't belong here. We belong eternity with God. 
And that, that, that this is never going to be perfect. Our scenario here, we live in a broken world. So these relationships, God has given us great gifts of being together and enjoying one another and having great opportunities and making an impact on the world and having a role in the story. It's great stuff, but it still falls short of our, of our ultimate place. We are in exile, and so what we're supposed to do is make the most of it. We're supposed to make the most of it. Don't pass up on comfort and joy that God may be providing for you right now because it's not the comfort and joy that you want. Don't pass up on, on great things that are going on in your life, great comfort and joy situations. Don't pass those on because you're just thinking, yeah, but it's not the prospering hope, future comfort and joy that I'm wanting, that I'm hoping for. Build houses, plant gardens now. Because maybe the plan has changed and you're just fighting against it. Something interesting happens at the end of the 70 years. And so there's another prophet in the Old Testament as known as Jeremiah. He was named Daniel. Daniel's made famous with the story of Daniel in the lion's den and him surviving that situation. In chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, he, uh, he says something I, I find quite interesting. Chapter 9, verse 2, he says, In the first year of the king's reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So here's Dan here Daniel is talking about chapter 29, verse 10, 70 years later. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So as the 70 years comes to fruition, as God's plan is really starting to take shape, and Daniel is a part of the movement to bring people back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem, his first response is prayer and petition. This is consistent with Jeremiah's story. I think when we get close to the plan that God has for us, whether it's timing-wise or our own understanding, we naturally move into a time of prayer. We move into a heightened sense of prayer. This is consistent with chapter 28, 29 from Jeremiah, verse 12, right after our foundational verse. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's this movement that it's, we're going to pray. The reason I bring this up is this is what's happening here at Mountain Park right now. There are groups of prayers, people who are gathering to pray, who don't even know that other groups are gathering to pray about this church and about the future of this church. They're not gathering because I told them to. They're not gathering because there was a class, because there was a program. They're gathering because they know something is happening here. I believe, I believe that God is, has something beautiful planned for our community, for this church over this next year as we transition into this new location. I think the prayers that are popping up and the groups of people who are praying, they flow very beautifully out of this idea that God's plan is something is happening there. I believe God is, is going to do tr something tremendous. He has a plan. He wants us to prosper, have a hope and a future as we make our transition to this new location. I don't know what that's going to look like. I just believe that God's going to do something great through us as we connect more deeply in community, as we make an impact here 
in, uh, here in our city as we are a light on that corner. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm pretty excited about it. God has a plan for your life. Sometimes that plan is delayed. Sometimes that plan gets changed because of circumstances or whatever. But here's something that you can take to the bank, whether it's plan A or plan B or plan C or plan triple Z, whatever version of that plan is, it's good. God's plan is always good. God is very good at continuing to make good plans for your life, for for our life as a church. So what that means is we don't have to be bogged down by what could have been. And that's the natural thing for us to do. Don't focus on what could have been. There are some doors that are closed in your journey that will never be opened up again. Maybe that was part of the original plan and that was part of your heart and your desire and your hope and you had this picture of what that might look like and maybe that was from God. But maybe the plan has changed. Sometimes uh, uh, circumstances mean that certain possibilities that were available some time ago are no longer available. And that's okay. Maybe God is rewriting the plan for the next phase of your journey. I'm 45 years old, and I will never be a professional hockey player. I finally came to terms with that five years ago. Now, anybody who's seen me play hockey, they knew that full well many, many, many years before that. But for me, my, my, my imagination kept it open that there was going to be some kind of miracle that I was still going to be able to play professional hockey. That shut down five years ago, and that's okay. Don't focus on what could have been. Focus on what could be. Don't focus on what could have been. There may be some doors that are shut because there was a plan that has changed. Focus on what could be because God is very good at rewriting plans, at taking the situation, taking the scenario and saying, yep, maybe that was God's plan for you, for your life, etc." And God says, okay, plans change. Now, Here's something different, and it's good. God's plan is always good, and it just requires us to trust him through that and to say, okay, I've got to let go of some kind of plan that has changed, and I'm going to continue to trust God going forward. The band's going to come out and lead us in a song that is about, about you're a good, good father. You're a good father. May we remember that as we wrestle with the reality that sometimes God is great even when when life is not so much. God knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. May we embrace those words in their full context. Would you stand? I want to pray with you, and then we'll sing together. Father, we acknowledge your presence here in this room. Father, I acknowledge that, that these, these beautiful words and this story, it, it stirs up something real in many of us here in this room. It stirs up maybe a pain about the past, maybe a, 
a loss about some kind of plan that, that, that is no longer going to happen for us, God, would you give us hope and a future because you, you have a new plan. You've rewritten something that is beautiful and it's good. Help us, God, to, to think forward, to trust you and move forward with that plan. You're a good father. In Christ's name we pray, amen.